Second Peter chapter three. And in case you're wondering where our normal song leader is, he is visiting Ted and Sharon Mansoor upstate. Uh, pray for them. They're planning on moving to uh, Colorado next week. And so pray for them on the trip out there and for safety and God's direction in their lives. <clears throat> and uh, this is the first Sunday of the New Year. So Happy New Year. And... Uh, What do we do at the beginning of each year? We make promises, don't we? And we could probably just ask for a raise of hands. How many of you have made a New New Year's resolution that you've broken already? Okay. Now, I could preach about promises this morning that we make. Maybe maybe we'll do that next Sunday morning, I'm not sure. Uh, but this morning I'd like for us to look at a little more encouraging topic than the promises we make and break. Uh, I'd like to look at some of the promises that God has given us. Amen? And God has given us, uh, the Bible tells us, exceeding great and precious promises. And in the book of Second Peter, Peter says, I want to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. And one of the other things that we have a tendency to do at the beginning of the new year is we look back on the old year and we see all the mistakes and all the problems. And our mind has a way of doing something. It makes the bad parts worse and the good parts better. Uh, It makes the valleys lower and the mountains higher. That is human nature. Uh, We've often talked... How many of you have ever taught Noah Fisherman and heard Fisherman stories? I mean, I was... Uh, it's been a while since I've actually been fishing, but uh, last time I was out, I caught one about that far from the boat. Some of you will get that. <laughs> there we go. Um, and you always have these stories about the one that got away. The first time you tell it, it was this long. Second time, it was that long. It must have weighed 50 pounds. How many of you have ever seen a 50-pound fish other than in an aquarium? I mean, you're talking a big fish. And uh, we have ways of remembering things inaccurately. How many times has someone come to you and said, but you promised. I don't remember that promise. But you said it. I know you did. And you look in your mind and you try to think and you pray and you say, boy, I I just can't remember anything. I remember one time walking into the church I grew up in in Maryland and the preacher was standing there, Brother Norris, in the hallway and he looked and he said, 
Did I, did I invite you to be in the service tonight? And I said, no, sir, we just showed up. I'm sorry for not calling. He, went, he thought he had in, invited us to take part in the service that night, and he hadn't. It shook him up pretty good, and I, I was sorry about making him nervous. But we all do those things, do we not? That's why God's given us a written word. You can go into God's word and verify the promises that he has made. So that there's no arguing, there's no going back and forth, there's no saying, but you you agreed to this. God said, no, it's all written down. Everything I want mankind to know has been written down in the pages of this book called the Bible. Now, today we have a lot of preachers and and people who call themselves prophets out there saying, but the Bible's not enough. Anytime you hear somebody say that, just turn it off, get up and walk out. You don't need anything except what's in this book called the Bible. And by the way, I don't know anyone other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself who has ever kept every word. That is in this book. And if you can't keep what's written down, why are you looking for something new? Take care of what you have. Amen. And that's what Peter is saying. He said, I want you to remember some things. I want to stir you up a little bit if I can. And I want us to look at some promises here. Look here and let's just start reading in verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Now, Peter says, I want you to know something first, that there's going to come scoffers in the last days. Uh, we call them politicians today. Uh, we call them scientists today. Uh, but they're scoffers because they look at this book called the Bible and they laugh at it. And they make a statement. All things have continued the same as creation. Now, uh, I don't know if we have anybody that's studied these things, but... If you want the scientific term, it's called uniformitarianism. That means that things have continued, that looking at what is going on today is the key to understand what has gone on in the past. And so, they take a rock, and they break it up into little pieces, and they put it in a machine... And it says one part of that rock is 4 billion years old, and another part of that rock is 100,000 years old, and another part of that rock is uh, somewhere in between. And every sample they test gives them a different reading. That's true. But see, we can know how old that rock is because we can check the other strata, the other things that are in that strata, and we can find out how old they are. 
See, we can look at the fossils and we can say, this fossil is four billion years old. It's one of the first fossils. This rock was found right beside it. Therefore, the, the part of the rock that tests four billion years old is right and all the rest are wrong. Well, how, old do you, how do you know how old the fossil is? Oh, that's real simple. We look at the rocks. You see, we believe this fossil is four billion years old and the rock tested four billion years old and then when you ask them to do it, they just switch it around and say, we... See, the rock's four billion years old, therefore the fossil next to it's got to be four billion years old. That's uniformitarianism. They say things have continued exactly the same as they always have. But can I tell you something? Has anything continued exactly the same as it always has? There is absolutely not one shred of evidence anywhere. And yet, before Darwin was even thought of, before his grandfather dreamed up the theories of evolution that Darwin would claim were his own, uh, before all the scientists, before the chemistry labs came out, before all of these things, Peter wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit that there were going to come scoffers in the last days saying everything has continued just as it is since the day of creation. Lie, lie. And if you believe that, I'm sorry, you're believing a lie. You say, well, what about all the scientific evidence? I just challenge you to find one thing that has continued at the same rate for any time at all. Somebody said, I know one preacher. What's that? Politicians lie. That's true. But they don't tell the same lies. Because they can't tell the same ones over and over again. The ones that worked in Rome don't work in Washington, D.C. They've got to make up new ones. Listen, things continue, but they don't do things exactly the same. That's why global warming is a fake. It's a fraud. Does anyone know why Greenland is called Greenland? Greenland is covered with several hundred feet of ice today. It's part of the polar ice cap. It used to be about 1,000 A.D. that the Vikings had villages in Greenland and raised grapes and raised crops under what is now part of the polar ice cap. And they're saying that the ice cap is shrinking and we're all going to die. You know, there's, there's some problems with what people call science today. You see, these same people that make all of these claims are the people when you hold up a Bible and say, I believe this, they laugh at you. They look at you and say, how silly can you believe? In fact, I had one fellow tell me, he said, I can't believe that you're, you're an educated man and you would actually say that. He said, you solve all your problems by saying there's a God. He said, yeah. I said, is it hard to conceptualize the fact that God could create the earth in six days? He said, no, but it's too simple to be true. He said, wait a minute. 
And I've given this example before, and we'll just do it again to make it quick. The walls that are behind, the brick walls on the outside are made of brick. They're not just block walls with a one little face of brick. They're solid brick. That wall is 88 feet long, 30-some feet high, and it's composed entirely of brick. Now, I've never done the mathematics to try to figure out how many bricks are in that one wall. But could I just challenge you today, if we just took every other brick out of that wall, that none of us would want to be in this building holding church services today? How many would agree with me on that? And yet a brick wall is, is made in such a way that you should be able to remove every other brick and the wall still stand. But I wouldn't want to come in here, would you? And yet that wall has been there since 1935 and it's there because somebody put it there on purpose. Every brick was put in order The mortar that was put between the bricks was put there in such a way as to hold them together and lock that wall in and make it strong. And yet, how much more complex is the human body than a brick wall? It got here on purpose. It couldn't have gotten here by chance. And you got here by chance. Not on purpose of anything. The one that astounds me the most are the people who say, oh, well, I, anybody that has any sense knows that God created everything. Okay, I agree with you. But he wound the world up like a clock and let it go. He has no part in what is going on today. Now, somebody that says that everything got here by chance... They're dumb, okay? We're, we're going to show you the difference between dumb and stupid, all right? Anybody that says God invested all the time to create this world and universe and left it go, you've got to be dumb on purpose. In fact, you've got to go to school and be trained to be that dumb. It doesn't come natural. The next verse says, for this they are willingly ignorant. You've got to make a choice to be that foolish in your thought process. And yet I challenged a man who believed that very thing. I said, but who but God could waste the entire universe on one little planet and put people on it? Only God could have that kind of power. Only God could afford to do that. And God promised us in John chapter 14, the night that he was betrayed and went to the cross, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Many other passages Jesus promised He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. I'm going to believe God's Word, not the scoffers. It's interesting. 
They believe that if we don't act and act very quickly, that we will destroy the world. That we need to save the whales. That, that we need to protect all of the little species and the frogs in the rainforest. And I'm not for destruction of rainforest or any of those things. But I'll tell you what. The same people that want to save the tree frogs are the ones that want to murder the babies before they're even born. i got a problem with that. By the way, so does God. And if you are one of the unfortunate victims of the propaganda of this world, God forgives sin and he will restore you and he will allow you to serve him in spite of what goes on in this world because he's a good God. And he's coming back for everyone who will believe on him. Don't allow the lies of science, falsely so-called, which is spoken of in the Bible, to make you doubt the words that Jesus Christ gave while he was here on earth. But I want you to understand something very simple and very true. You see, the Bible also promises a kingdom that Jesus is going to rule this world from the city of Jerusalem. And that will be the golden age of all humanity. That's where the lion's going to lie down with the lamb. That's where the little child is going to be able to play at the den of the poisonous snake and there won't be any worries. There will be no more war. It's interesting the United States takes a biblical prophecy of the reign of Jesus Christ and they have a statue of a worker beating a sword into a plowshare. Most of us don't even know what a plowshare is, but they're taking that sword and turning it into an agricultural tool. That's prophesied in the Bible. Uh, may I tell you that that's not going to happen because of anything that goes over on 42nd Street at the United Nations building. Study their history. The harbingers of peace are the greatest shedders of blood in all of history. They call it the Roman peace. Study the Roman peace. I mean, the Romans knew how to kill people. They were good at it. Study the peace that is in Africa today because of the United Nations. Uh, they give the Romans a real good run for their money. Study the peace of communism. Uh, the people in Laos understand what peace is. When they look at mass graves that hold nearly three million people of their own countrymen slaughtered in the name of peace and prosperity. Study these things. And then remember, Jesus is coming back. He's going to straighten things out. But the disciples, Jesus had resurrected from the dead, Acts chapter 1. 
He had appeared to them several different times. He had given them last-minute instructions. And their last question to their Lord was, Will you restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They said, Is it going to be the end of everything? Are we going to be part of your kingdom now? How many people remember what the answer was? He says, that's not for you to know. Wait a minute. The whole thing is about the kingdom, Lord. No. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me. Both in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. Jesus said, I'm coming back, but I'm coming back on my time clock, not yours. Don't you try to figure out when I'm coming back. You allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life and go tell somebody about Jesus. Now, we've said this before, and it it bears saying again. If we could just take the adult members of our church that are here this morning, which is not everybody in the room, we understand that. If we just could have the adult members of our church, each one, in this next calendar year, bring one person, be used of the Holy Spirit to bring one person to Jesus Christ, that they would get salvation from Him, and that person would become a member of the church, we'd probably have to start thinking about having two services on Sunday morning to get all the people in, even with the sides open, in use. Because if everybody got one, somebody would, somebody would mess up and bring two or three. Wouldn't that be a shame? But his promise is that he's coming. How many would be willing to pray that God would use you to bring one during this coming year? I'm talking about one person who would Pray and ask Jesus Christ to save them. Be baptized, become a member of our church and serve with us here. That'd be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? But see, the promise of his coming is attached to our service to him until he comes. When the disciples said, when are you coming? When are all these things being? He said, don't worry about that. You get the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can go to some churches, and I don't mean to be too critical this morning, but just, just so you know where we are here, you get some churches and they talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. But nobody gets saved. They talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. But nobody's life changes. They just do certain things when they come to church. Now, we don't want the Holy Spirit to only work inside these four walls. We want the Holy Spirit to work when you live in the world. 
You want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Ask God to use you to win somebody to Him. That's the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing else counts. I don't care how many visions you've seen, how many languages you think you've spoken, or any of these other things. It says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. How many people have actually told another human being in their life about the Lord Jesus Christ? It's the hardest thing you've ever done, isn't it? That's why you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Nothing else will work. That's the first promise. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 3 if we can. And we want to just skip down to verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this verse is speaking about the first promise. It says He's not slack concerning His promise. Uh, God hasn't forgotten that He's coming back. But in this affirmation of the first promise, we have a second one here. We have the promise of God's long-suffering with us. How many of you would join me today and say, I praise the Lord for His long-suffering in my life. I praise the Lord that the first time I rejected the gospel, He didn't just go away and leave me alone. Amen? I praise His name that the first time I sinned after I got saved, God didn't just leave me alone and say, I never talk to you again. In fact, every time, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? God's desire is that everyone is saved. God does not desire that any individual goes to hell. But when you reject God's mercy, what else is God what other alternative does God have? It is not God who is responsible for people going to hell. It is the hardness of men's hearts in refusing to accept God. You say, well, how often should I witness? How, how, how many times should I go back? Until you can't go back anymore. If you're dead, you can't witness to anybody anymore. If they're dead, you can't witness to them anymore. But as long as you're alive and they're alive, guess what you ought to be doing? You ought to be witnessing. And you ought to witness with a purpose. There's, there's a brand of Christianity that just goes out and seeks people to pray prayers and they put them on their notches like, a, like the old gunslingers in the fiction of the West. And I had ten people pray today. Most of us have never met anybody like that, praise God. 
That's, that's not what God's talking about. It's being patient enough, long-suffering with others, just as God is long-suffering with you, to see them come and surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we who can only judge by the outward appearance see the work of God on the inside. Amen? Aren't you glad God is long-suffering? Aren't you glad He's promised? He said, listen, I know you think that it's been a long time since I've made that promise. But I'm just giving you time to repent. Aren't you glad He gave you time to repent? Aren't you glad the Lord didn't come the day before you got saved? Now, God's not going to do that. He knows. He knows who will get saved and who will not. But He didn't plan it. He didn't choose. He gives every person a total free will to make that choice. And I've met several people over the years, and they said, Pastor, I just don't know about this thing. I'm not, I, I don't have a desire in my heart to get saved. I just don't understand. I said, here's how you get that fixed. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, and it goes on. How many remember before you got saved, did you feel bad about sin? That was the grace of God drawing you to Him. By the way, everybody starts out that way. Because the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. But not everybody ends up that way. Because it takes two things to get you saved. Grace, which everyone has. For by grace, say it with me if you know it. For by grace are ye saved through what? You say, how do I get faith? Glad you asked. Romans chapter 10, if you have that verse memorized, say it with me. So then faith cometh by and hearing by the Word of God. If you have a problem... You're not there yet. You don't understand your salvation or your desire for it. Get God's grace. And then put yourself in a place where you can get faith. That's one of the things church is about. By the way, your daily Bible reading schedule will help with faith. Amen? need to work on that. You need the preaching of God's Word. You need the reading of God's Word. And you need to put God's Word in your heart. Now let's go down. We have the promise of His coming. The promise of His long-suffering. And our last verse that we will look at this morning, verse 13... Nevertheless, we, 
According to, the, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, this promise is connected to the other one, the other ones. He's promised that he's going to come again. He's promised that he's going to be long-suffering. This is the reason why he's taking so long to fulfill the first promise. But he says, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. How many of you would join me in saying, my heart is grieved for the wickedness that I see in this nation this year? My hand goes up. I'm I'm grieved. Some of you that are just a few years ahead of me can remember a time when things were very, very different in this country. Do you know that they used to build automobiles with no keys? All there was is you opened the door and there was a button in there. And by the way, it wasn't connected to a security padlock. Some of those new cars, they just you just push a button. They're going back to 1924, by the way. Uh, just push a button and the car starts up. But if you don't have that electronic fob in your pocket, that button isn't going to do you one bit of good. But on the old Model T Ford, you didn't need a key. All you did was push a button and poof, into life and drive off. Could you imagine what New York City would be like today if we had cars like that? Tow trucks? We don't need a tow truck. Just break the window, hop in and push the button and drive off. In fact, you wouldn't even need to break the window because there wasn't a lock on the door either. Brother Clayton's told the story, and it was the same in my dad's life when he grew up in central Pennsylvania as Brother Clayton grew up in, in western Ohio. You left the front door of the house open. Because if you were busy in the back, you didn't want anyone standing on the porch that couldn't get in. And if you went over to visit somebody and they weren't home, you just walked in the front door and had a seat in the, in the parlor there or in the living room and waited till they got home. And when they got home, you had good fellowship. Nobody accused you of stealing anything while they weren't there. I mean, that was a different world back then. We say, why is it so rotten today? Well, if you go back then, there were rotten things going on back then too. There was just a little less of it maybe. But he says, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Could you imagine what this world is going to be when every sin is punished immediately and completely? 
when God's word is the law of this world. Not just one country, but the entire world. There will be no standing armies when Jesus is king. Won't be any need for it. Who's going to protect you from God? You don't need protected from God. Now, today, we need protected from lunatics who think they're serving God. But they're not obeying the words of this book called the Bible. I can promise you that. Anybody here ever met what they call the New Patriot Movement? Super Patriots, they call themselves. We'll go on record as saying they're super idiots. They think that somehow they're going to overthrow the government of the United States and provide a safe haven for all the world to live, and they're going to get rid of all the unjust laws. Let me tell you, there is no greater tyranny known to mankind than those who want to rid the world of tyranny. Uh, if we have anyone that wants to study history, God save us from Oliver Cromwell. Amen, Peter? Amen? Amen. Okay. I see the head going up and down, but not everybody can see that, all right? Now, Peter studied history. He knows what I'm talking about. Most of you, unless you study history, you have no idea who Oliver Cromwell was. He overthrew the king of England and set up a new government of which he was the head that was ten times more tyrannical than the king had ever been. Were things somewhat better under the terms of Oliver Cromwell? Well, some things were better. Some things were more just. But when it was all said and done, the king came back. And it didn't really help anyone, except fill the cemeteries of the land of England. Oh yeah, there were some more freedoms and more things like this, but God save us from those who want to rid the land of tyranny. God give us the ability to wait until the King of Kings sets up his kingdom, where there will be no tyranny. Amen. Don't get so wrapped up in the things of this world that you won't be ready when Jesus comes. When that trumpet calls, I don't want to be saying, Lord, could you give me another five minutes? We, we don't have the paneling up on this wall yet. I'd like to get that done before you come. Now, I want Jesus to come. I want to leave an unfinished building for the Antichrist. Amen? I want the Lord to come in His time. But until He comes, I'm asking for the power of the Holy Spirit that I can tell people about Jesus. Because no matter how bad things get in Washington, D.C., He's going to give us a new heaven. And a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I want to be prepared 
to live in his kingdom. How do I do that? Uh, By getting the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to obey him today. Amen? To ask him to give me victory over myself so that I can serve him. That's what God wants us to do. These are God's promises. By the way, God never breaks his promises. Amen? You can trust them. You can trust God's word. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all you do. But when God saves you, guess what? He changes you, doesn't he? He changes everything about you. Because he wants to conform you to the image of his son. So that when his son is ruling and reigning here for a thousand years, you will be prepared to be the citizen that God wants you to be in his kingdom. So let's get ready for the kingdom by serving God today. There's a passage in the book of James, and we'll end here, that says, when you're made, well, let's just read it. James chapter 2. Let's just turn back a few pages in your Bible. I'm sorry, James chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, we'll, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not... To him, it is sin. Now, we've got the promise of a new heaven and a new earth. It says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. Now, I just want to be very practical for a moment. Is it good to read God's word? then the least reading of this book you ought to do is what's in your Bible reading schedule. Wait a minute, preacher. That's a lot of reading. Yeah. But it's right to read this book called the Bible. You know, it's right to be in church. And not just on Sunday morning. You need to be in church. It's right to pray, is it not? It ought to be a prayer meeting. Somebody says, But pastor, I read it and I really don't understand everything I'm reading. And first thing I'll tell you, join the crowd. I'm reading the Bible for all these years. You don't understand all the Bible? No, not even close. But I'll tell you what I do understand. I understand the parts that tell me how to live. 
And that's what we try to preach about. So we can know what we ought to do is right. Amen. It's right to be in church. And by the way, if you want to learn how to study your Bible, come Thursday nights for our Bible study. We go through the Bible verse by verse. We take it apart word for word. We, we, I explain the Scriptures. And one of the purposes in doing that is so you can see how it is done and learn how to go home and do it for yourself. Amen? That's one of the purposes of our Thursday night Bible study. Listen, it is right to follow the Lord in believer's baptism after you've been saved. Um, We don't spend a lot of time talking about offerings and money, but it is right to give unto the Lord. Amen? Some people, somebody saying, how much do I give? Sign up for discipleship and we'll... Get that all straightened out. Amen? We'll spend time on that. It's right to tell other people about Jesus. It is right to pass out tracts. It is right to live a clean life. It is right to guard yourself from evil influence. Amen? It is right to exclude worldliness from our church and our worship of God. You know what? Next week is the Home Missions Conference at Heartland Baptist Bible College. You know what? It's right for our church to go there and try to help other churches getting started. It is right for us to support missionaries. It would be right for our church to add to the number of missionaries we support. But it costs something. When I talk about money, 90% of the time, it's for the missionaries. And our missions giving, just so those of you that are new here today understand, our missions giving does not stay here. We do not take a percentage off the top for administrative fees Uh, When money comes in for missions, it goes to missions, every penny of it. Because it's right to do that. It's right to live differently for the Lord Jesus Christ in these last days. It's right to be faithful to God and His Word. That's what the Bible says. Don't make your plans. Let God make your plans. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's real simple. If you're making a decision in your life, does that decision make it easier for you to serve the Lord or harder for you to serve the Lord? If it makes it harder for you to serve the Lord, then it may not be God's decision for your life. It's just that simple. You see, I've got a promise that Jesus is coming. He has been so long-suffering with me. 
Do I want him to find me doing something that is against him when he comes? No. I want, to, I want him to find me serving him. Because you see, he's making a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And there may be some people that are as happy as I am about there, but I don't think there'll be any human being more happy than I am when I get there. Because I'm not going to have to worry about anything else ever again. I'll just be with Jesus. But he wants me to get ready now. I don't know that this is true, but something to think about. What if you enjoyed heaven and eternity to the same degree that you enjoyed serving God while you're here on earth? Now, that's a frightening thought, isn't it? Surrender to God today. The greatest joy in your life ought to be obedience to the God who saved you. And when it is, you're preparing yourself to be told those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would do your work in each heart and life here today. Lord, we ask that the spirit of true worship may prevail. That we would see our sins and confess them before holy God. That we would remember the promise of his coming. And we would prepare ourselves to serve you in your kingdom. Let us hold true to these promises that we be not distracted by the world and the things that are in it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.